All right, welcome to another episode of the Light Bulb Factory, conversation centered on the church becoming the light of the world. This episode is a recording from our college worship gathering. If you are a college student in Waco, we'd like to invite you to join us any Sunday at 12.30 p.m. in the college lounge of FBC Waco, where we learn about the way of Jesus together and discern what it looks like to live it out together as a community. How do you know if someone is a Christian? How do you know if, if someone is a Christian? Do you, do you know it maybe by sitting down with them and hearing a little bit about their beliefs? Asking the questions about what they believe about Jesus? Is that how you know if someone's a Christian? Or is, is it about their, their life, their morals? Do you sort of pay attention to the things that they do? Pay attention to the things that they, they don't do? And, you know, take a guess from there? See, too often in the American church today, uh, we've boiled down being a Christian to these two things. Believing the right things about Jesus and avoiding the sins that we should not commit. That's been the totality of what it's meant to be a Christian. And yet we've come to a place in American Christianity where there's still a big problem because we're believing the same, the right things. We're doing our best to avoid the wrong things. And yet oftentimes Christians look nothing like Jesus, that we're just as stressed as the rest of the world is, that we're just as materialistic as the rest of the world is. Perhaps we're even more judgmental than the rest of the world is. And so Jesus one day said, he said, a tree will be known by its fruit. And what he meant by that, that fruit that, that was the chief way that we could know what a tree was all about, that, that fruit is love. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, it's to love God and, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the greatest commandments. And so as we think about what it is to be a Christian, being a follower of Jesus should be becoming a person who is increasingly defined by love. This does not happen naturally to us at all, and we can try all we want, and yet we find that time and time again we fall short of becoming the people that we want to be. And that's the key word there, is try. We try all we want, and we fall short. But in this series, we've been talking about the idea of training instead of training to become like Jesus. We started this series with, with the verse from 1 Timothy 4, train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Being a person of love does not come natural to us. That is why we need training to become like Jesus. And so in this series, we've talked about a whole bunch of different practices they're a way of life, really, that Jesus lived. And the idea is that if we do what Jesus did, if we practice the practices that Jesus practiced, then over time, we will become increasingly people of love. We will look more like Jesus. And so we've talked in this series about a number of practices. Here they are on your screen. We've talked about silence and solitude. We've talked about Scripture. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about confession. We've talked about practicing the Sabbath. We've talked about fasting. And the point of these disciplines, again, is not to do them. The point of them is not to check off a box. The point of these is that we are training ourselves to become godly. That by taking up these practices, we are shaving off the parts of our life that don't look like Christ. And we are increasingly becoming people who look more like Jesus, who are defined by love. Train yourselves to be godly. 
So today, as we start off this last week, I, I want to give you an opportunity to just kind of look at this list and, and ask yourself, how are you doing with these disciplines? Um, how many of you tried? Have you taken some steps during this series to try something new that you had never done before? Whether you succeeded or not is not really the point because it's all about practice. So how are you doing with practicing to become like Jesus? And so the way that we know someone is a Christian is by looking and seeing if their life reminds us of Jesus. And because none of us are there yet, that's why we need to practice so that we can get to that point. And so uh, I want you to uh, just start today by looking at these, these options at the bottom of your screen. Where, where are you? Which of these would define where you are? Um, number A might say, uh, I'm actively working on it. I'm in training. Doesn't mean I'm figured it out. Doesn't mean I have it, you know, nailed down. Doesn't mean I'm good at these, but I'm, but I'm practicing. I'm, I'm training. Uh, secondly, B, uh, maybe you'd say, hey, I'm not doing so well. Like this series, this past couple months has been a blur for me. Like I had full intentions to kind of like practice some of these things out. And then here we are the last week of school and where did the time go? And I'm still kind of in the same spot that I was before. Um, when we did a podcast on uh, the Sabbath a, a few weeks ago, I thought Jack made a really good point where he, uh, he, he said that he started practicing Sabbath in the summer because there was more time. And then uh, be, by, by starting that practice in the summer, then he was able to trickle it over into the semester and get in a rhythm. That might be your story too. Maybe this semester has been a blur. You're like, man, I meant to, and, and yet here we are. Well, look, you've got a summer ahead of you, a summer that could be a great time to actually practice these practices. Give yourself grace. There's a summer right around the corner. Or perhaps, see, you might just say, look, I, I am stuck. And it's not just that it's been a little crazy lately, because I don't even know if like, I would even get around to it in summer either. You know, I just, I'm just stuck. And you might be in a place where you say, I, I need to do some soul searching. What is it that's, that's keeping me from, from pursuing the way of Jesus? Perhaps for some of us, there's a wound or a hurt or a doubt that we're kind of nurturing and until we actually work through that thing, it's going to be really hard for us to take up the way of life that Jesus has. It's preventing us. It's a barrier. For some of us, maybe we'd say, I'm just, I'm just busy. And yet, yet, we've said that five semesters in a row and three summers and four summers in between. And so, at some point, we have to ask ourselves that soul-searching, am I, am I too busy to follow Jesus? Am I just too busy to follow Him? Uh, if you're a C person, God does not love you any less than an A person, you know? that his, uh, his love for you is not dependent upon your ability to, to get this right. He loves you fully, 100%, as you are, regardless of who you are or where you are. And uh, some of us need to hear that deep down in our soul. Um, and it's really easy for this to become sort of a checklist uh, that almost implies that we are going to gain favor with God by completing it. It's not what we're doing here. We're not gaining favor with God. That's not the point. Uh, the point is to train to become godly. And the idea is that if we're, if we're not taking up these practices, then it probably shouldn't surprise us if we don't look like Jesus. Uh, but if we are, and if we're working on it, then in time, lots of time and lots of patience, lots of steadfast work, um, that we should find little by little that we are becoming more and more like Him. Uh, you might find that, uh, you know, this is a partial list of spiritual disciplines. And, you, you know, I think the, it's important to say that uh, the purpose of the Christian life is not to always do all of them, you know, that you're going to have some that you are drawn to more than others. Um, 
partly by personality or temperament, but also there's going to be some that you, you know you need more than others uh, because of the way that you need to be trained. And so uh, I, I, th- I think that some of us probably ought to give ourselves grace uh, that, you know, look, I've been doing a few, but I've been doing all. That's wonderful. You've been doing a few. Latch on to a few. Latch on to the ones that you think you need in order to train yourself in this current season. And, uh, and God is really honored by that. And he loves you either way. So just want to encourage you with that. We're going to add one more discipline to our list today, and it is the discipline of simplicity. Simplicity. Uh, So yesterday, Rachel and I made a trip up to uh, uh, Grandview, Texas. Anybody know where that is? An hour north of here on the way to Fort Worth. Impressive. Very good. Uh, So when we lived in West Virginia, Rachel and I used to go to this this, uh, ice cream shop. It was fantastic, okay? And it was our favorite place to take visitors when they came to, to see us. Because they had like, you know, three dozen kinds of ice cream just lined up. Like it was an insane selection. Uh, but it also was what else they had in the store. They had uh, fishing gear, um, live bait, you know, like the next aisle over from the ice cream, you know. Um, they had kitchen knickknacks and they had, uh, they had furniture uh, on the patio. Um, and so we would go get our ice cream and we would sit um, on these like gliders out on the front porch. Just the quirkiest store ever. And we'd just sit there and eat our ice cream. And uh, kind of look out at the mountain horizon, and it was just just beautiful and amazing. And we'd sit there often, and we'd talk about how one day uh, we would we want to have a glider like this on our on our back porch. It would just be be so fun and help us kind of uh, be nostalgic about those memories in West Virginia. So I've thought about this for years, and uh, during the pandemic, I realized that uh, it was time. I was like, okay, it's time that we go for this. Uh, this glider, thanks stimulus check, you know, let's go. Um, and so uh, I'd make a bunch of calls. That, I mean, this furniture is like homemade by Amish people. Like it's, it's, you know, you can't just go to Amazon and like deliver it, all right? I'd make a lot of calls and I find that there's this store in Grandview that, that actually makes, uh, that, you know, they can order this furniture for me. And so I put in an order like back in like September, okay? And it's taken seven months uh, for it to finally come in on a truck. And we got a call last week, hey, your, your glider's ready. And so we drive up to, to Grandview, and I'm just like so excited. Like I've been waiting this for like six years. And uh, we pull up to this, uh, this little store in the middle of nowhere, and he says, your glider's over here. And we pull up, uh, and I look at it, and I was just like, it's wrong. <laughs> it's wrong. Like I've been waiting for this for, for six years. And I look at the colors, and I'm just like, it, it's what I ordered. Like it, it, they got it right, but it, I just like, I don't know, like, it's not how I wish I would have had done it. You know, I didn't have a cat. I had just like a paper catalog. I couldn't like look at it, you know, perfectly and see it. I just had to kind of guess with my eyes about the decisions of how to make it and the, and the colors. And I'm just like, man, that's, that's not what I was picturing. And so we load it up in the U-Haul. We bring it home. Now it's on our back porch. And uh, as, as I'm on the drive home, I'm just kind of wrestling with some things. I'm like kind of internal feelings of like frustrated and sad on the inside. And there's two things that I think about on the way home. Uh, the first one is this, this article that I uh, read this week in The Atlantic by Tim Keller. And um, Tim Keller is, uh, is, uh, is dying of cancer. I don't know if you know this. He got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And now he's having to uh, believe all the things that he's counseled about people with for years in terms of death. He's having to face it himself. And he writes this amazing article. Um, and he, he, he has this quote where he says, The more we try to make a heaven out of this world, the more we ground our comfort and security in it, the less we are able to enjoy it. Uh, what Keller is trying to say there is that the more pressure we put on an item, on an earthly thing, 
then the more disappointed we're actually eventually going to be when that thing disappoints us. Um, if we need this item, this thing, this material possession to be everything for us, if we need it to be heaven on earth, then in time we're going to be disappointed. And that's true with cars. It's true with houses. It's true with gadgets, with technology, with clothes, with books, anything that you buy. Same story is going to play out. That the more we try to make a heaven out of this world, the less we're able to enjoy it. And I was driving home and I kind of remembered that, that quote from the article. And I was reminded that nothing can stand up to that kind of pressure. Like, this is the thing. This is it. Like, I finally have it. So much pressure. And yet, if we put our focus on other things, on eternal things, on, on what matters most in life, then we can be free to just enjoy the stuff that we have. It doesn't have to be everything. It can just be something nice that we get to have and enjoy. And we're free. Uh, the other thing I, I thought about is a quote from Jesus uh, from, um, from uh, the Gospel of Luke 12, 15. And Jesus says this. He says, Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. See, Jesus talked about money a lot, guys, a lot. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell. Uh, and he didn't honestly speak very well of, of money, usually. Um, that we, we try oftentimes to justify having lots of it. We say, oh, money is like this neutral thing. It just matters what you do with it. But the Bible's thrust, New Testament and Old, is to warn us about money, to warn us against excess, and to urge us to give things away and to share uh, with those who are in need. And so I want to read to you this longer passage here from uh, the Gospel of Luke 12. Um, it says, Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me as a judge and arbiter between you? And he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And so Jesus tells this, this, uh, this story about a man, first of all, who cries out in the crowd. And he says, Jesus, uh, you know, give me, uh, tell my brother that he needs to split his, his inheritance with me. He says, tell him to behave, okay? Jesus, this man assumes that what Jesus is after is, is fairness and equality of possessions, but in reality, Jesus is more concerned that the man cares so much about it. That's actually what Jesus is concerned about. And so he tells him very blatantly, watch out, be on your guard. He says greed comes in, in many forms. And he says life does not consist in an abundance of possession. He goes on to tell this, this story. This is Jesus' favorite way of communicating truth through parables. And uh, and he says that there was this, this rich man who had all kinds of stuff. He had everything that you wish you could have. And then he got even more. He had a great harvest. And so what, is, what happens when the rich get even richer? He says, well, I don't even have room to store all this stuff. I better build another barn, you know, so I can have room for all this surplus. And yet the message back to him is, you fool. You fool. 
You don't know when your life is going to be demanded from you. What is all this being stored up for anyway? What's, what's the point? And then he ends with this line where he says that whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God, this is how it will be. You see, this man made the, the error of wrongly con- assuming that life consists in an abundance of possession. That he already had much, and what he should have done is he should have shared what he did have with, with others. He was a fool. You see, Jesus makes all kinds of statements about money in the Bible, the ones like this, that, you know, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And a lot of times we hear those statements and we think that they're like just arbitrary commands that we have to like to fulfill to make Jesus happy. And if we don't, then they're aimed at making us feel guilty for not living up to the command that he gave us. But that's, that's actually not what's happening at all. Is that when, when Jesus gives us um, observations about money, what he's doing is he's telling us how the world actually works. Okay, that he's warning us that if we're looking for abundant life and possessions, we're not going to find it there. This isn't a manipulative statement to make you feel bad about yourself. It's just true. It's just a true statement. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Maybe we've heard Jesus talk about money and we thought he was that mean parent who doesn't want us to have any fun, but, but he's really more like that, that wise and loving grandparent who's seen a thing or two and they simply want to speak truth into our life. They want us to, to know a little more about reality so that we can get it right the first time. Jesus wants what's best for us, and he wants us to know that if you're searching for life and possessions, you're, you're not going to find it there. So what Jesus does instead is he calls us into this thing called simplicity. Now, today there's a, sort of a cultural uh, you know, trend towards minimalism, which is basically the same thing. It's taking Jesus' idea of simplicity and kind of repackaging it. Um, I think it's a good thing that minimalism is catching on. It, it really brings us more into the way of Jesus if we, if we would follow it. Uh, simplicity or minimalism is, is not about having nothing, okay? Uh, but it is about having less. And so we live in a culture of accumulation where we're told that we're going to be happy. Um, if we gain more and more and more, we'll be happier and happier. And Jesus is the trailblazer who says, actually, uh, abundant life is found this way. It's actually found in the opposite direction. It's found when you have less. So follow me upstream. Let me show you where no one else is going, but where you're actually going to have life. Let me show you how to get there. Um, I hear about stories sometimes of people who are are living paycheck to paycheck, and uh, they don't have enough to even know if they're going to meet the bills for the next next cycle when they come in. And they're able to to fall on their knees and just ask God, say, God, we've got to have you show up. If we're going to get through this, we need you. We're praying, we're fasting, we're seeking provision. And some of those people are the closest people to God that we, I've ever met in my life. There's an intimacy that's found on your knees. There's an intimacy that's found in, in not having enough and having to depend upon God for the next thing to come through. And so Jesus knows what he's saying when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and, and all the rest of the stuff, that's going to be added unto you. God's going to take care of your needs. Look, look at the birds of the field. Look at the flowers. They're fed. They're clothed. You're going to be okay. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all the rest of this is going to be added unto you. So simplicity is not about just learning to organize your stuff well. Uh, It's not about uh, being sure that you have a big garage sale every year. Uh, The idea is that here in America, we, we have way more stuff than we need, infinitely more stuff. Okay, We've got boxes of stuff that we haven't touched in years, 
that we probably never should have even bought in the first place. And Jesus is inviting us to live out a different way of life. I think about my glider on the back porch, and by the way, uh, I got it on the back porch, and I was, uh, I realized, I feel like I overreacted in the car. I saw it there, you know, the, the sunlight coming and hitting it at a different angle, and I'm like, okay, all is well. I'm thankful. It doesn't have to be perfect. It can be enough. I don't have to, this doesn't have to be heaven on earth for me here. This is pretty awesome, and I'm, I'm thankful for this, uh, this gift and ability to remember a special season of our life. Um, simplicity is something that personally I, I like to get better at. Um, and despite the fact that I'm telling you about kind of a big purchase uh, I made, that I've, we've been focusing really over the last year or two on, on trying to whittle down what we own and what we have and make sure that we don't have more than, than we need. Because uh, we believe that in simplicity, there, there is freedom. And so as we go down this journey of simplicity, it's natural for us to wonder, well, how exactly how simple of a life is Jesus calling us into? Uh, you know, how much stuff do I have to give away in order to, to make him happy? And it's, it's, it's not clear, okay? Uh, we might ask questions like, you know, am I sinning by having as much stuff as I do? Like, what's the line and which side of it am I on? And I want to suggest to you that these are actually the wrong questions. These are questions that, that miss the point. You know, have I given away enough? Do I have, you know, little enough? Um, the, the point of what Jesus is getting at in the Gospels when he talks about wealth is that wealth and possessions make it harder for you and for I to experience the reign of God in our life. And Jesus wants us to have an abundant life. And so he, he speaks up and he says, I'm going to tell you the truth about reality so that you can find that life the way that no one else is finding it. Is that contrary to what we may think, happiness is not found there. And so when you pursue wealth and possessions, you're making it harder on yourself to experience the reign of God. And so... Simplicity is not about reaching a quota. It's about traveling in a direction of having less and believing God that when we travel in that direction, we will actually find life and freedom. We will be free to become people of love. I want to close today by talking about clothes. And as one particular example, there's lots of things we could choose uh, when thinking about simplicity, but let's, let's zero in on clothes. Um, let's talk about the clothing industry today, and I'll say up front that I, I, I'm indebted for a lot of these stats and kind of things that I'm giving you to, to a guy named Joshua Porter, who um, has a really helpful podcast. If you're interested on these things, uh, let me know. I'll send it to you. Um, but the clothing industry uh, employs 60 million people in the world today. Uh, the vast majority of those 60 million people are, are paid insanely low wages uh, that they can't even make a living on the amount of, of, that they're paid. Um, and most of them are, are, are making the clothes brands that we buy in our stores today. Um, some are paid so low they can't make a living. Others are just flat out enslaved and they're working against their will. Um, there's 40 million people that are enslaved in the world today. Uh, and many, if not most of them, are working in the supply chains for Western clothing brands. Um, the majority of these, these people are women. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of talk today, uh, rightly so, in our country about um, advocating for justice for women. That's wonderful. We need more and more of that. Uh, we need to consider the way, the primary way in the world today that women are oppressed, and it's actually through the clothing industry. Um, there's uh, not only just women, though. There's 170 million children today who are working in uh, conditions that are unacceptable for children, according to the UN, or ages that are too young. Uh, most of them work in the fashion industry as well. Um, 
And yet our, our kind of need and, and desire for clothing continues to grow and grow. Um, and there was a study that came out a couple years ago about how uh, in 2014, people bought 60% more garments than they did in 2000. 60 more percent than they did 14 years ago, but kept them half as long. Um, one garbage truck full of clothes is burned or dropped in a landfill every second. Um, if we have clothes, we also need, uh, we also need water to wash those clothes. Uh, when we wash our clothes uh, at the rate that we do, 500,000 tons of microfibers are put into the ocean every year. That's the equivalent of 50 billion plastic bottles through washing clothes. Uh, water, uh, clothes are the second biggest consumer of water worldwide. They're also 10% of uh, the carbon emissions that humanity um, puts out on, on, on Earth. Um, and the point of this is that if we, if we care about justice for the poor, if we care about uh, caring for God's creation, which we should, and God calls us to, to care about those things, then this is all very bad news. A lot of the clothing lines that we trust and we buy from uh, have just flat-out failing grades, not B, not C, but failing. Uh, there's a report done by the Baptist World Aid and Responsible Sourcing Network that uh, graded, uh, just to name a few clothing lines, gave all these got failing grades. Uh, Aeropostale, Skechers, Express, Fruit of the Loom, Lacoste, Quicksilver, Walmart, Abercrombie, American Eagle, Nike, Gildan, Nordstrom, Macy's, Costco, Bed Bath & Beyond, Sears, Forever 21, Urban Outfitters, just to name a few, all failing grades on the ways that they're, uh, that, uh, of how they're getting their clothes. Um, if you Google a particular company perhaps you're curious about, most likely on their website you're going to see some flowery prose about our commitment to sustainability and fair working conditions. Yet in reality, uh, there's no accountability for those statements that are put on a website, and most likely uh, that means nothing. Uh, that almost every company that is out there is basically in, somehow entrenched in these systems. And so it's very difficult, and it almost sounds like there's very little hope, which is kind of true in some ways, just to be, to be honest, um, that we're so kind of immersed in these, these cycles and these systems, it's really hard to know how to get out. Um, and so uh, Joshua Porter says this just uh, after he talks about all these statistics, he says that as disciples of Jesus, we're going to have to rethink the way that we shop. Um, and uh, here, here are three ways that we can, we can do that. Here are three ways we can think about the way that we buy clothes. Um, first one is, is to buy used, okay, to buy used. Uh, what buy, buying used clothes does is it utilizes clothes that have already been made, okay, rather than causing more demand for new ones. It keeps these clothes in use rather than just sending things to the landfill. Um, and in doing so, that reduces waste. Um, it cuts off additional funding to, uh, to companies who are causing, you know, part of this harm, which is most of, if not all of them. Um, and so by buying used, one thing you can do is you can frequent a, a thrift store, okay, a place or a consignment store in your city that, that, uh, where you can buy used clothes. It may sound tacky to you, but, uh, but you may be surprised about how many great items are actually sitting in thrift store. Not just kind of like, I guess I could maybe wear that if no one's going to see me today, but like, no, really, really good things, really good items that are out there. Uh, Waco, Rachel and I uh, appreciate Things from the Heart as a place that we uh, like a lot. Um, I'm sure in your hometown there's, there's other ones. Um, you'll, you'll find them. Um, and so this is, a, this is something that, that you can get used to, is just buying, buying clothes at, at a used place. And it does so much for, for the world in these systems that we're talking about. Um, if, uh, if you go to a, um, a clothing store, and um, ideally, you know, in an ideal world, when you look at the tag, you would see 
the truth about how that clothing item was made. You'd see, you know, who was involved in making it, where it came from, uh, what sort of grievances had to be committed in order for this to, to get to the hanger on a rack. And yet that's not reality. The industry capitalizes on our ignorance because um, oftentimes if we knew, we wouldn't buy it. And so uh, the question is now that we do know, will we do something about it? Will we be willing to actually um, buy used? Uh, the second thing is this, um, is that we can buy less, okay? Uh, believe it or not, you can wear the same clothes for years, okay? Years and years and years, okay? You don't need new stuff every season, uh, that we can hang on to things for a long, long time. Uh, push yourself to see if you can wear things longer than you've worn them before, okay? Whatever that level is for you, take it further and see if you can, can wear it until um, it's really like, okay, this just has to go, you know? Um, and when you replace something, uh, buy it used, okay? Um, and so thinking about number of outfits, like we mentioned a moment ago, um, you know, instead of having 30 to 50 outfits that you could wear or even way more than that, uh, what if you had like seven? <laughs> what if you had one for every day of the week? Perhaps there's a cold weather rotation and a warm weather rotation. I've been reading recently about people who are doing this or just people that are saying like, look, I have four outfits and I love each one of them. I'm excited to wear each one of them. And I just rotate them through. And that's really all I need is just, just like four, you know? And I think sometimes in our world, we've been told that it's embarrassing to wear the same thing over and over again, so close together, they'll notice that I wore that last week kind of thing. Um, and yet, it's a convenient narrative for the clothing industry to kind of put those thoughts in our head because it means more money that we're spending and more acceleration of, of the market. And so uh, what, uh, what we ought to be thinking about is, is how can we buy less in our lives? Because remember, if we do this, uh, we will be more free Others will be more free as a result. Um, as Porter says, Jesus wants to set us free from materialism. If this sounds impossible to us to make these changes, that shouldn't surprise us. Jesus told us that, that it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And yet change is possible, Jesus says in the next verse, anything is possible with God. And that we can make the changes that seem even impossible for us to make. Uh, lastly and third is, is to share things with one another. Uh, Martin Luther said this, he said, if our goods are not available to the community, then they are stolen goods. Uh, this is the idea of, of, of sharing with one another the things that we have. Sharing takes care of those who have less in our community. It ensures that we don't become so attached to the things that we do have. Uh, this is a crazy thought. What if some, next time somebody said, hey, I love uh, that shirt that you're wearing. Uh, what if you said back, awesome, do you want to wear it next week? <laughs> it's a bit extreme perhaps, but maybe it shouldn't sound so crazy. Maybe, uh, maybe we should literally be willing to give each other the shirt off our back. Maybe we should be willing to share things more often. Um, so next week we're going to do something uh, a little different. We're going to try out a challenge. Um, you know that each week we've been trying to give you not just uh, the practice, but actually practice it together as well. And so next week we're going to invite you when you come. Uh, and remember, we'll be doing Senior Sunday next week. It'll be great. But we're encouraging you to bring clothes with you that you, uh, that you can get rid of. We're going to encourage you to bring things that, um, that, uh, that make sure they're washed, okay? Uh, make sure they're not literally falling apart and another human couldn't wear them, okay? But, uh, but bring clothes. If you need to, to declutter, this is the time. You're about to move out anyway, right? Um, fold those things. You know, we'll sort those things as you're here. But this is a chance for you to act on that. And we're going to do things a little differently. We're not just going to give these clothes away. We are originally. We're actually going to try out this principle of sharing. So we're going to have you put all the, uh, the things in, in the middle, 
And then at the end, before we leave, we're going to invite you to go through that and actually see if you would like to take anything from that pile. Um, we're going to invite you to say uh, that you can, you can take what you need. After we kind of take and swap kind of as needed, then we'll take those things to a place um, that needs them. Uh, but don't kind of say, well, I'm not going to take anything. People need them more. No, we, we want you to practice. It's actually good for your soul if you practice taking something from somebody else. And so I would encourage you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because they gave it up, not stealing. Yeah. There you go. Clarify that. So if it's true that we have a lot more than we need and that we need to learn to sort of resist the cycles uh, of, that, are, that are harming the poor you know, and harming the earth, and let's try this out next week. Let's, let's try it out and see what happens. I'm really excited about it. Jesus wants to set us free from materialism. And so uh, let's step into the way of the kingdom. Let's trust that he knows what he's talking about. And let's try something new. So in this series as a whole, I hope you've kind of captured the idea that following Jesus is not just some abstract idea about trying to be nice. That it actually affects the way that we actually live. It should affect the way that we shop, the way that we eat the way that we schedule, the way that we live our everyday lives. And so we practice the way of Jesus, trained to become godly. We should become more and more like him, and the world can be changed because we are being changed into his likeness. Mm-hmm.